I've been sick. Or Lonnie's been sick. Brian's sick. Burns been sick. But that's fine because that leads into our message this morning. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. And we continue preaching through the greatest chapter of the greatest book of the Bible. And here in chapter 8, uh, last week we saw where in uh, verses 14 through 17, uh, Paul gave four proofs of our being sons and daughters of God about whether to know for sure that you are indeed a child of God, that not all people in the world belong to God. God does not belong to all people in the world. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, speaking of Christ, to them he gave the right or the authority to call themselves children of God. But uh, verse 14 through 17 gives... Uh, Four proofs. Number one, we are led by God's Spirit. This refers to our conduct, how we live our lives. Uh, the, the greatest evidence of a person who has come to know Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior, someone who has truly been born again, is a true follower of Christ, is that your life will change. You will live differently than you did before. Uh, so this is the first proof is that we are led by God's Spirit because the Spirit of God lives in us. Uh, we will follow Christ in obedient discipleship. Uh, second thing is we have the internal witness of, our, of the Spirit in our hearts. Spirit, why Paul says we cry, Abba, Father. This is a, a, a term of very intimate affection. To call God Abba, not just Father, but dear Father, my Father. And this is one of the, the evidences that we have. And then the Holy Spirit witnesses to us with an overwhelming sense of God's presence in our lives. And then Paul says that the last thing is, we will suffer. If you listen to the average television or radio preacher, very seldom will you hear them say, come to Christ so you can die. Come to Christ so you can live a life of suffering. But yet, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He said, anyone who comes after me that is not willing to forsake everything cannot be my disciple. To forsake the world, to forsake sin, to forsake, uh, to forsake myself. And so suffering is part of living the life of Christ. <clears throat> and here uh, in verses 18 through 27, look at verse 18. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, verse 18 is an astounding statement. It's even more astounding when you find out who it is that said this. It's the Apostle Paul. Because when Paul, uh, when his ship wasn't sinking, he was being stoned and left for dead. He was being jailed. He was being beaten. 
And yet Paul says, these sufferings, they're nothing compared to what's coming. Every person in life, saved or unsaved, suffering is just part of life. But the thing we need to understand for the believer is this. Our suffering has purpose. Our suffering is not for nothing. It is conforming us, Paul says, into the image of Christ. And yet Paul says that these present sufferings he was enduring, the present sufferings that you and I may endure, they are nothing to be compared with the coming glory. Here in chapter 8, Paul is leading up. We, we talked about as we began in chapter 1 how we were climbing this mountain to reach the pinnacle of the mountain, which was Romans chapter 8. And here in chapter 8, verse 1 is just the bottom of the pinnacle. We're still going up. Still going up, and Paul, he is still, he is trying to encourage us. Remember back in chapter 7 when he talks about how, you know, that which I want to do, I find no way to do. That which I don't want to do, that's what I do. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, and I thank God for Jesus Christ, because there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And from there, we've been going upward and upward and upward. And, and Paul, next week, we're going to probably get into seeing, uh, you know, we're verse 28 there, where one of the most famous verses of the Bible, that we know that all things work together for good. But we'll get to that next week. But here Paul says, I consider... For I consider, uh, he says, I thought about this, I thought it over very carefully. I have weighed the evidence and found it to be so. Paul says uh, the same thing over in 2 Corinthians. I think we read this last week. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 17, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen, because the things which are seen are transient, but the things which are unseen are eternal. <coughs> no matter what you've gone through or will go through or maybe presently are going through as a believer in Jesus Christ, the sum total is not worth comparing with the glory that's coming. Now, I, I thought about this this past week. You know, I spent the majority of this week laying on the couch. You know, I was telling somebody earlier, there was one point this week I thought I'd have to feel better before I could die. And every now and then when I felt like it, I'd get up and I'd go in my study and I'd, I'd read this. And I was studying, trying to get this sermon together. And I thought, okay, nobody enjoys being sick. Nobody likes this. Really? Is there anybody here who enjoys this? No one. And I thought, that's what Paul's talking about right there. He's saying, look, I know that you live in a sin-sick world. And because of that, uh, that fallen world that is sin-sick, we suffer. We suffer sickness. We suffer death. We suffer all sorts of things. And, and we're gonna, there, there's other sufferings besides this that we're going to talk about. But I was thinking to myself, I am so glad that Paul says, look, this is nothing to what's coming. One of these days, 
somebody will walk up to me and say, hey, you remember the flu? And I'm going to say, no, I don't. I have no idea what that is. Because it'll be gone. It'll be gone. Nobody will be suffering with these things. Belief in what the Scripture says will change our lives. It'll change how we live. It'll change how we walk. And let's read verses 18 through 27. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that was to be revealed to us. For the creation waits, and with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But, we, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we find here uh, that verses 18 through 27, Paul presents us a hope that is essential to the creation. Uh, <clears throat> Creation itself groans for it. We as believers groan for it. And we find that even the, the Holy Spirit, He aids us with groans of His own. We live in a world that is cursed. We live in a world that is dying. And we suffer terrible things in this world. We not only suffer through various sicknesses like the flu or the crud, whatever you want to call it. We suffer through things like cancer and other diseases. We suffer through injustices done. We suffer through watching untold millions of unborn children slaughtered in the womb. We suffer through watching nation after nation go to war for no reason other than power and money. And so creation itself, Paul says, is even groaning for this. Groaning for the day. Paul pictures uh, animate and inanimate creation as an audience that is eagerly awaiting for the sons of God to come into their glory. That word eager longing in verse 19 gives the idea uh, that creation is standing on its tiptoes. It's, it's doing like this. It's watching. It's craning its neck. And you know what it's watching? It's watching us. And it's waiting for the day that our redemption will be complete because you know what happens then? So will theirs. So will creation. Paul 
in verse 20 gives the reason for creation's longing. Uh, there in verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Here Paul refers to the curse that came upon creation when mankind sinned. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, after Adam had sinned and Eve had sinned and God comes and he confronts them in their sin. And there in verse 17, it said, and, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorn and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Creation became a sufferer and was uh, permeated with futility and decay and death. And this happened as a result of sin. And, and it's interesting how, you know, one of the things that we believe that the Bible teaches concerning uh, sin is that sin permeates every part of our being. It is total depravity. There's nothing good in us at all, nowhere, anywhere, outside of Christ. We have nothing good, and that, that, that sin that permeates us, it goes into all of creation. Can you imagine Adam, it says that he named the animals. Can you imagine a lion just walked up to him? A serpent just slithered right over there, and, you know, maybe got around his neck. And Adam said, you know, I think I'll call you Copperhead. <laughs> But the point is that, that there was a harmony. Adam had dominion over the creation. But then sin happened. And as a result of this, the animal world was invaded by fear and violence. And we have floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. And the earth, Paul says, groans like a woman in labor. It wants desperately to be delivered. And, and sometimes there seems to be no hope. If you look, if you watch the daily news, and you look at everything that's going on in our world, there is war and rumors of war. There are people who are just walking into places of business just shooting people at random. We see people who stand and they march down the streets carrying a sign that says, I hate God. I hate God. I saw this, this, this uh, abortion march the other day, and this lady held up a sign and she says, I hate God because He will not let me do what I want with my body. And she had no idea what she was saying. But this is the world that we live in, and we look at everything that's going on. <clears throat> And, and we see the war going on in Ukraine. We see, you know, we were talking the other day, somebody was talking with me about in our own nation, how, how we're, we're, we're looking forward to inflation, record inflation in this country. And folks, I want to tell you something. It will not get better until the day that Jesus returns. 
But we look at it and we seem to seems like there's no hope. And no matter which way we turn, there's no hope. But there is hope. And that hope is the day. As, as Paul says later, he says, look up. For your redemption draws nigh. And when our redemption is complete, as we, if you go over to verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who justified, he did what? He glorified. That's the end of our salvation. That's the completeness of our salvation. At that moment, all of creation will be new. It will be made new. In verses 20 and 21, they indicate that God uh, subjected nature in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. But I want you to notice something here. Don't miss this. And, and, and in our world today <clears throat> that has gone completely nuts. It has. And I want to tell you something, folks. That creation outside <clears throat> is not God. That creation outside is nowhere near in the sight of God what we are. We are the creation. We are the crowning glory of God's creation. And notice that creation's redemption rests where? In our redemption. And it's not until we have been completely redeemed and, and our salvation is complete that then creation will be set free. And we see this principle of the groan for glory everywhere about us. Everywhere. We see that, that there is groaning in the creation. You know, I, I think about Jesus. <clears throat> He's on the boat with the disciples. He's asleep. There's a storm comes along. They're bailing water, and he's up there asleep. And Peter says, hey, John, reckon we ought to wake him up? Maybe he can help us bail water. And Jesus, I can see him. He gets up, and he's just stretching. Hey, guys, what's going on? They're bailing water for their lives. And he says, you of little faith, peace be still. And immediately, the wind and the waves stopped. Now, don't miss that. Creation listened when the Creator spoke. By the way, do you realize, this, this, this is not part of my sermon, this is free right here. Do you realize that the wind and the water are better at obeying Him than we are? I think of another instance, what we call... The triumphal entry of Jesus on uh, into Jerusalem and the people are laying down the palm trees and they're crying out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the religious leaders are telling, they said, they said, tell the people to stop. They knew what the people were doing and they didn't like it. They knew they were hailing him as their Messiah. And the religious leader said, hey, tell the people to be quiet. Tell them to stop. And Jesus says, if they do, the rocks will begin to cry out. Because creation knows it's God. It knows it's creator. And Paul says that it, creation groans and it's standing on tiptoes and it's craning its neck and it's, it's watching us and it's waiting for the day <coughs> that you and I will be, uh, when our redemption will be complete. 
So we see this. Now Paul moves into the, the, the personal application of this, that not only does creation groan, but we as believers, we groan as well. I, I gotta admit, I thought about this when I got off the couch the other day and I groaned. <laughs> and I thought about what Paul was saying right there. We groan, but it, it goes beyond that. Listen, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you not ever look at what's going on in our world and your heart is broken? When we see people who, are, who, who just do not understand why we are so adamant about saving the unborn. They don't get it. When we see people out there who are living a life as if God doesn't exist, and we groan in that, but, but we also, we face the sufferings of a sin-sick world. Remember the people that Paul's talking to in this letter to Rome? These are suffering Christians. They were under the hand of Rome and, and they were being, they, they, they had, and there's a persecution, a greater persecution coming later, which, you know, Peter talks about in his letter to, to them. But the things that we groan for as the adoptions of son will be completed by the redemption of a body. We are already God's children if we are in Christ. Okay, now that, that's very important that we must understand right there. You go all the way back to chapter one, uh, verse 1, chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You must be in Christ Jesus. You must be in union with Christ in order for this to happen. If, if we are outside of Christ, then there is nothing but condemnation. But we are in Christ. And as God's children, we need to understand we will not be complete until we get to a place to where we are glorified. We have a, a, a new body. When our salvation is complete, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.12, Paul says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. You ever thought about that? You know, when you look at me, you don't see me. You see the house I live in. When I look at you, I don't see you. I see the house you live in. And one of the things that we find out is a house, as it gets older, begins to fall apart. And that's what Paul's talking about. In another place, he says, though our outward man perishes, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. We groan because of the misery of living in our fallen bodies in this fallen world. And we are described there in verse 23 as waiting eagerly. The same word that is used in verse 19, which describes creation's waiting. We are on tiptoe waiting for our deliverance. <clears throat> Listen, I believe that every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ should wake up every morning and go like this and say, I wonder if today will be the day He comes. I wonder if today will be the day my salvation will be complete. And maybe not even waiting for His coming. Maybe rather than Him coming for you, you may go to Him. You see, we, we, have, an idea, we have this idea that death is a bad thing. And it's not. You realize that as a believer in Jesus Christ, death is nothing for me but a step from here to there. From this world into His presence. 
I always found it interesting that you, you can look at your average church's prayer list. And what you will find is we pray more to keep sick Christians out of heaven than we do to keep lost sinners out of hell. Listen, if you ever find out I'm on my deathbed, don't, don't pray for me to be well. I'm serious, don't. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. But I love Christ. And I'd love to be in His presence. And this is what Paul's talking about. We're on tiptoe waiting for our deliverance. And he says we wait with patience or perseverance. <clears throat> Someday we will know the fullness of our salvation. I love what John says over here in 1 John. Let me find this here. 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it didn't know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we're going to be like Him because we're going to see Him as He is. And everyone who, uh, who thus hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. Isn't that wonderful right there? We don't know what we're going to be like, but I know that when I see Him, I'm going to be like Him. I'm going to be like Him. And that's the, that is the goal. That is the goal of our salvation where uh, He says there he's in, in, in verse 29, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. And that is, the, that is what we have to look forward to. And the suffering that we may have to endure in this world. Not just the sufferings that, that come from the sickness of this world. But I'm talking about the kind of suffering. You know, if you go back to verse 17, Paul said, Provided we suffer with Him. See, Jesus was hated everywhere He went. Jesus was mocked, he was laughed at, and eventually he was taken, he was beaten, and he was crucified. And he told his disciples, he says, look, if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. He said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. And I believe that especially in this culture, in this world in which you and I live, that if you are following Christ, if you are truly living for Christ each and every day, the world outside will hate you. Let me tell you something. Many within the church will hate you if you are truly following Christ. And these are the sufferings that you and I have to deal with. The sufferings of having, uh, uh, of having someone you know and love and trust turn and, and, and stab you in the back just simply because you're trying to follow Christ. You ever had that happen? We all have. If you hadn't, you will, if you're following Christ. And these are the things. But Paul says we wait with patience. We wait with perseverance. You know, it reminds me of <clears throat> Jesus picking his disciples. And he told them, he said, look, he said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And he said, and one of you is a devil. Now, don't miss what he said right there. He said, I chose Judas on purpose. But you know what? You know what you find? You find that Jesus 
loved him. There in the in, in, they, they ate the last, the Passover meal the night before his crucifixion. Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Now what I find interesting is they all looked at him and said, Lord, is it me? Nobody said, I knew it was Judas. Nobody said that. I think that he was the one that they were most shocked by. But Jesus, it said, after they had eaten, he got up. He stripped down. He put an apron on. He got a bowl. He filled it with water. And he went to each one, including Judas, and washed their feet. Later on, the mob comes to arrest him. And Jesus, uh, Judas rushes up to him and gives him a kiss. And Jesus, Jesus says to him, friend, do you betray me with a kiss? Right? And the point I'm making is this, folks. Those that we think will never turn against us will. Those that we think are always on our side are not. But here's the thing. And I'm not saying you don't have loyal people in your life. I know we do. But we have to understand that if we're going to suffer as Christ suffered, we must be ready. We must be willing to endure the suffering that comes from being betrayed by those we love. We must be willing to, to suffer, if it comes down to it, the physical agony that many Christians in the world today are already suffering. And yes, I believe it is well on its way here. When it could become very much, and, and, and we can see it today. You know, if, if you want to know what it's like, if you want to know what an Iranian Christian endures, <clears throat> go to Dallas. Better yet, go to Houston. I'll tell you why Houston in a minute. Go to Houston, stand in the public square, and preach what the Bible says about the sin of homosexuality. Now you know why I said Houston? It's like the homosexual capital of America. You think they're going to enjoy that? You think they're just going to say, oh, he's a nut, leave him alone, don't worry about him? No. A few years ago, the uh, mayor of, of Houston sent out a letter to all the churches demanding that from now on they send transcripts of their messages to the mayor's office to be approved before they were preached to make sure and that was the one thing on the priority that they were not speaking out against homosexuality now of course she didn't get away with this but you see that, that the fact that she even tried shows how close we are this happening and and so paul is saying look creation is groaning we as believers we are groaning as we look forward to the day of our redemption and and paul is encouraging these believers and i want to encourage you this morning listen no matter what happens to us no matter what you endure in this world if you are a true believer in the lord jesus christ the day's coming glory's coming you know what, back in verse 17, for if we suffer with him so that we, what, may also be glorified with him. 
And then the last thing Paul talks about <clears throat> in verse 26 and 27, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I will admit to you folks that in my Christian life, one area that I feel that I lack more than anything else is in the area of prayer. I don't do it enough. I often don't think I know the right words to say. But what Paul's talking about here is groaning. He's talking, let me ask you something, folks. Have you ever endured something in your life that was so devastating you just had no words? You didn't know what to say. You just fall on your knees before God and, and there's, there's such anguish and there's such mourning or fear. And you don't know what to do. And Paul says, but the Spirit helps us where? In our weakness. He helps us in our weakness. I love the way that Derek Thomas in his study of Romans 8 puts this. He says, look at it this way. When I pray, the Spirit of God takes that prayer, fixes it, and then takes it to God. And I'm glad He does. I'm glad He does. And, and don't forget that we have two divine intercessors for us. <coughs> as you go through life, especially in, as a believer, you realize the writer to the Hebrews says that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, seeing that He ever lives to do what? Make intercession for us. Now, you know what, Paul, what the writer to the Hebrews is saying there? It's saying that Jesus right now is praying for me. He's praying for you. Not only that, Paul says that not only do we have an outward intercessor, we have an inward intercessor. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And you know what he's doing? He's praying for me. And he's taking our prayers. And sometimes the crushing weight of sin or the crushing cares of this world, they leave us before God without words. Have you ever been there? I've been there. I've been there where I just went to God and said, I don't know what to say. I have fallen into a sin to where I would go to God and say, I don't know what to say. I have endured heartbreak to the point where I would fall on my knees before God and say, I don't know what to say. And Paul says, that's okay. The Spirit of God is there and He is groaning for you because of the greatness of of the coming glory and because of the weaknesses of our groan there is a glory Paul says that awaits us that exceeds our wildest imaginations hey he's going to spend the rest of the chapter talking about that and let me give you let, let me let me spoiler alert it's wonderful if you hadn't read it you ought to go and read the rest of the chapter I mean, he's going to first of all tell us how God chose us. That God chose me. I don't know why. I wouldn't have. Which is a good thing I'm not God. But then he's going to go on from there and he's going to say, and you know what? He said, if God's on your side, who cares who's against you? 
And then he's going to go on and say, who's going to condemn you if Jesus has died for your sin? And then he's going to say, you know what? What will separate you from the love of God? You know, as somebody said, chapter 8 begins with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. And in between, there's no trouble. And he's, he's going to wind up by saying, you know what? <clears throat> we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. That, that Where Paul uses the words there, more than conquerors, it, 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 the Greek words there put together in English actually say we are super conquerors. So he's talking about, he says, look, if you're going to follow Christ and you're going to be an heir of Christ, one of the things that you're going to inherit from Christ is his suffering. And we see that we do this. And he says, but look, he said, it's okay. He said, creation is groaning and suffering, looking for the day of redemption. Mankind is groaning and suffering, looking for the day of our redemption. And we have the Holy Spirit to help us, who prays for us, who helps us with our praying. One day, all our groanings will be replaced by glory. I remember I preached a funeral one time for a lady in a church where I was a pastor. I preached a funeral for her husband. And um, <clears throat> after the service, she, she came over to me and she said, Pastor, she said, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to go on without him. She said, we've been together for like 65 years, every day of my life. And I don't know how to go on. And I looked at her and I said, you wish you'd come back? She said, oh, no. I wouldn't take him away from where he's at for nothing. And I said, you want me to tell you something? She said, what? And I said, you know that even if he could, he wouldn't come back because of where he's at. She said, I know. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, when we see the end result... All this will mean nothing. All this will be gone. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. <clears throat> we find that we're not alone. We are surrounded by the sympathetic groanings of creation and even the Holy Spirit. But Revelation 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was sitting on the throne said, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
Also, he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You know right there, in, in verse 6 he said, And he said to me, Tetelestai, it is done. It's not the first time Jesus said those words. There at the cross he cried out and said, It is done. And here's something I have learned from studying and reading and meditating on the Word of God and living a life that I try to obey God. Here's one thing I've learned, that when God says it's done, guess what? It's done. Because He is sovereign over His creation. But, but, but there in Revelation 21, we see the end. One more, I want you to turn with me to, to Isaiah chapter 11. Just thought of this one. In Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah is talking about the, the reign of the righteous Lamb of God and the day that will come for this. And notice what he says here in verse 11. Look at beginning with verse 6. It says, The wolf shall dwell with the Lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, do you know what we see in those two passages? We see the redemption of creation and the redemption of man. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says we, we can rest no matter what we endure in this world, no matter what this world may do to us for our walk for Christ and for our stand for Christ. He says endure it with patience because the day's coming when he says, I make all things new. And I realize that sometimes we face struggles troubles and trials and we look at Paul where he says this momentary light affliction and we say Paul you don't know what I'm going through but I'll promise you the spirit of God who inspired Paul to write does when Paul says I consider that the, the sufferings that I'm going through now are nothing and I look at that and say Paul you don't know what I'm going through but I can promise you, Paul would say, maybe I don't, but I do know that the Spirit who's inspired me to write does. And this is God's promise. And he says, keep going, Christian. Keep walking. Keep, keep enduring. Keep, keep in obedience to Christ, no matter what it costs. You know something that I found about sufferings? They have a purpose. One time, well, sometimes that purpose is that our sufferings will show us who is and who's not. I have found that trouble will do that in a church quicker than anything. It will show you who's truly saved and who's truly not. 
And I think sometimes God allows it to happen, maybe even sends it to happen for that very purpose. You know, that's what John tells us in 1 John. He says, they went out so that it could be made manifest that they were never one of us. So whatever we go through, whatever the sufferings, whatever the troubles, whatever the trials and the tribulations, listen, or if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we can look in God's Word and say, oh, I, this, this hurts so bad, I'm so afraid, but God, I'm going to trust your Word that one day this will all be gone. One day this will all be worth it. But only those who are truly in Christ can say that. Because only those truly in Christ have that promise awaiting. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, though we struggle with many things in this earthly life, Father, whether it be sickness of the body, whether it be sickness of the mind, whether it be sufferings at the hands of others, help us to keep our eyes upon Christ, looking unto Him. Father, help us to forget that which is behind and press on toward the mark of the high calling of Christ. Oh God, we thank you that in Christ there's no condemnation. We thank you, Father, that in Christ there's nothing ahead but glory. When we will share in the glories of our Lord and Savior because we have suffered in his, uh, we have endured in his sufferings. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives in us who enables us, Father, to live the life you've called us. Thank you for the intercessory prayers of our Savior and the Spirit. So, Father, may we be encouraged this morning that as this world grows darker and darker, that we can see that it is growing gloriously dark. May the light of the gospel shine through us in this dark world as we stand and walk with our Savior. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.